guys can go ahead and grab a seat. I am totally loving those couches in the back. If I was like not up here, I would totally be there right now. Let's see, you guys have like the best seats in the house. <laughs> I love it. All right, well, I'll share with you guys my Super Bowl pick. And like Taka, I just do not care at all about this game. I'm a Bears fan, and the Bears have only ever. <laughs> There are Bears fans in here. This makes me so happy. Um, okay, I thought I would not. I never thought I would see that again. But, uh, you know, the Bears have only been in the Super Bowl like twice, maybe ever. <laughs> so I just, unless they're there, I don't care. I'm just like Taka. I'm there for the Super Bowl <laughs> or for the, for the halftime show and then the appetizers, which whatever, you know, I don't care. But really, the halftime show is where it's at. And he kind of mentioned it, actually. I didn't know you were going to tell everybody because <laughs> I was going to talk about it, too. But, yeah, we watched. It was so funny. He was like, let's go back in time and let's watch the Super Bowl halftime shows of old. And, you know, we were, like, looking back and watching. He said Michael Jackson and U2. And I didn't realize that the U2 halftime show was, like, 20 years old. And I, I realized it because the the theme of their um, like halftime show was honoring the 9-11 victims. And I was like, oh my gosh, it took me back. And I was like, oh my gosh, you remember what it was like back then. And so much has happened and changed in between the 9-11 attacks. And then today there's just, I, I, we live in a totally different world. And I was just thinking about how amazingly people actually came together. It was such a time of tragedy, but people really rallied around each other during that time and people were like flying across the country and like giving all their money to organizations and like helping clean up and giving scholarships to the kids of the families um, that pe of people who died. And it was just such a actually really beautiful time of outpouring. And I just was like, wow, I, I can't believe how amazing people were in that time. And it, it just kind of got me thinking about just how we show up in this world, and especially as believers, what that looks for us. And we've been talking for the last few weeks about in a series called Game Changers about spiritual disciplines, and we've been talking about different disciplines we can apply to our personal life to make us closer to God. But what we haven't talked about yet is how we as a team can play the game well together. And so today, the spiritual disciplines we're going to be talking about are how we can be trustworthy team players on this team for the kingdom of God and how we can show up in this world in such a beautiful way. I really believe we're called to continue to live just like that outpouring that we saw in, 20, in 2001. Wow, so long ago. Um, we're called to be the kingdom of God. And so today we're going to have, I mean, in the Super Bowl terms, I'm just, you know, keep, I'm just playing along with it, right? Just being cheesy for you in the spirit of the Super Bowl. But today we're going to have just a little team huddle and talk about what it looks like for us to live communally minded and how we can apply spiritual disciplines that apply to our community as well. And so today we're going to be talking about four different um, four different spiritual disciplines. And it might not make sense when I first say it, but just stay with me. It'll it'll come, okay? So the things we're going to be talking about today are stewardship, generosity, gratitude, and simplicity. And all those things tie into how we can care for each other. 
Um, and so there's always this saying, I don't know if you guys ever heard this. How many of you played sports growing up? Yeah. So there's always this like phrase that our coach would say, if you want to go faster, you can go alone. But if you want to go farther, you kind of what? Go together. <laughs> That's right. And so we're going to talk about that today. It's so our first thing that we're going to be talking about is stewardship. And that's how we can, it, basically steward to steward something just means to carefully manage something. Careful, carefully and responsibly manage something. And so you and I are called to steward this one life that we've been given really well. And not just for ourselves, because yes, we need to steward ourselves well, we need to live our lives well, but because everything that we do impacts other people. And so... There's this, there was this belief um, in the Old Testament that everything we do, every single person that comes into contact with, we affect them. We are all part of one big community. They actually had a different kind of community there, which we're going to be talking about in a minute. But um, their understanding was that what I do affects you, what you do affects me, and how stewarding our life well is so important for not just ourselves, but the people in our lives. And there was this idea even that we would do no harm. So that was like the overarching idea. Today we say love our neighbor as ourselves, right? But then it was do no harm. How can we live our lives in a way that we do no harm to other people? And not only that, when we enter people's lives, do we at minimum leave them the same way we found them, but ideally that we would leave them better than we found them, right? Not just things in our life, but people in our life. Things and people. How do we enter a room and leave the room better than we found it, right? And that is part of our calling as believers is to build and to make this world a more beautiful place for all of us to be in. And so there's a few specific institutions and things that God created and went into great length to teach us how to steward really well in our life. And so what has God asked us to steward? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit on some of these a little bit more briefly because... I'm not a climatologist, but I do think it's important that we talk about the earth. So um, God has asked us to steward this earth. He's asked us to steward our families, our communities, and our church body. And so, like I said, I'm not a climatologist. I'm not going to hear to be like Green, Mrs. Greenpeace. But one of the very first commandments that God ever gave to us as humans was to steward and to watch over the earth. And so we do have a part to play in that. So, like I said not going to tell you all about, if you want to talk to me about like, you know, composting and like, you know, reusable things, we can talk about that another time. I'm all about it, but <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that today. But God did tell us that we need to steward the earth well. And remember that whatever we're taking from the earth, we need to put back, right? What, what we do affects things. And we have to remember that we need to leave things better than we found them. And so the next thing um, I mentioned was family. Um, I think it's so important that we really camp on stewarding our families really well. Stewarding our family is a really, really spiritual thing. And I grew up in the 90s. I don't know about you guys where um, it was kind of, <laughs> it was a little backwards actually, where we used to go to church like five times a week and we would like just like stick the kids in a room and like kind of like leave your family over there so you can focus on being spiritual, Right. And in, in the meantime, we're, like, neglecting our family, right? And so there's a balance. Sometimes I think actually now I think we've kind of gone the opposite way 
And I think sometimes we can actually make idols out of our family and we forget to, um, you know, manage our spiritual life. But I think there's a middle ground where we can say, my family is important to steward. My spiritual life is important to steward. They go together. We do them together. And it both matter. <laughs> but I think um, fa- family, stewarding our family is so important because your kids will never have another parent. You are their parent. They'll never have anyone else who can pour into them the way that you can pour into them. No one's going to love your spouse the way that I hope no one loves your spouse better than you love your spouse. Otherwise, you have issues, right? <laughs> Maybe we need to work on that. So, But hopefully, no one will love your spouse better than you love your spouse. You know, if you're a child if of a, a parent, no one is going to take care of your parents and honor your parents more than you will. They're, they're like waiting for you to honor them. Trust me, I'm waiting for my kids to honor me. I'm like... Just do what I say, please. Um, no, but no one can love your family like you, and it's so important that we steward that. Our siblings, hopefully, you know, we're the ones still sticking up for them on the block, right? We are still looking out for each other. Hopefully, we steward our family really well because the way that we act on this earth is symbolic of who God is. We represent God. And so it's important that we steward our families well, that we love each other well, that like I said earlier, at the end of the day, does our family go to bed laying their head on the pillow, being more filled up? Are they better than what the way that we left them? Are they better at the end of the day than the beginning of the day? Did we pour into them or did we deplete from them? And so it's so important for us to remember. I, I know it's like one of those things, especially for me as a parent, sometimes I'm like really tempted to like notice all the things my kids did, you know, at the end of the day. And I'm like, did you pick this up? Did you pick that? You know, we have this thing called the four things that they have to finish before they go to bed. And so it's really easy for me to focus on all the things that they didn't, that they forgot to do before they go to bed. And at the end of the day, things will get done. Things don't matter. You know, the house will be cleaned another time. But what's more important is that at the end of the day, just my kid going to bed knowing that I love them, that I think they're amazing, that no one's going to believe in them more than me. And so that is an important job to steward. And the same thing at the end of the day. Does my, my spouse lay their head on the pillow feeling more loved at the end of the day or more depleted because of the way that I've that I've treated them. So the way we steward our family really, really matters. The next one is community. The Old Testament also had a lot to say about community. And uh, there's a ton of stuff in Deuteronomy, and it's beautiful, complex, and weird all at the same time. (laughs) So (laughs) go ahead and read Deuteronomy. It's really, really beautiful. But also, there's a lot of stuff we need to talk about. So I'm not going to read all through it today for you. But they did talk a lot. God laid out a lot laid out a lot of rules in society about how they're supposed to care for one another. And it was very much um, a communal society versus an individualistic society. We live in a really individualistic society where, I don't know if we still have the, I don't know if we have a slide up here. I can show you. But so uh, back then, the way that they lived was that, What you did um, really mattered, and everyone had a role to play in society, and uh, we depend on each other to make things work. But here in America, it's very different for us. We definitely are like rugged individualism. I can do it on my own. I am like the king of my own castle, and 
my stuff is my own. <laughs> you know, like, that is our very American way. But that was actually the opposite of what God laid out for the, for the Hebrews. And he actually was like, he went even as far to say as if there is a person who is living poor and without in your community, then the community has failed. Because you're all supposed to look out for each other. You're all supposed to take care of one another. There was this idea that there's more than enough in this world for all of us to thrive if we only take our fair share and we put in our fair share. And so uh, there's actually a story in Exodus that I'm just going to kind of like quickly go through for you. But um, I'm sure you, a lot of you guys know this story. But there's a story in Exodus where... Um, the Israelites are being rescued out of slavery, um, out of Egypt, and God takes them into the desert. And I don't know about you, but like taking my four kids into the desert and trying to find a meal would be like hard enough, right? But there's like thousands of them. And so they're like, cool, God, you rescued us, and then you brought us into the desert, and there's no food in the desert. So like, what are we supposed to do? So this is where you guys have... This is where it all kind of got instituted to, you've probably heard the phrase, there, he created manna from heaven. And so this is the time where basically he says, okay, I'm going to make sure that you're fed. Don't worry. I didn't rescue you. I didn't pull you out here to let you die. I wouldn't do that. I'm not that kind of God. So he creates this thing called manna that kind of rains down from the heavens, but he only puts out enough for everyone to take their fair share. And I think this is a really, really important lesson that he wanted to make sure that the Israelites got. And so basically he just put enough out for everyone, just enough. And if you took more than your fair share, someone was going to go without. There wasn't enough for that other family. And not only that, but if you took more than your fair share and you didn't use it, it was going to rot by the end of the day. So not only were you feeling like kind of a schmuck because someone else is, getting, is going hungry, right, but also... You thought you were saving up for yourself, but really you were just taking from someone else and it rotted and you have nothing more at the end of the day. <laughs> and so I think there's a few lessons in there. And the first one is this. The first one is that you don't have to worry about it. God is going to take care of your needs one day at a time. He takes care of our needs one day at a time. The manna was new every day and it rotted at the end of the day every day. So just take what you need in this world and look out for your brothers and sisters right just look out for each other there should be no poor among you is what it says actually there should be no poor among you make sure that you are looking out for each other and I think um yeah there's oh this I'll just share this one quick little story so <laughs> in our house um so I love those little tiny ice cream cones from Trader Joe's. Do you guys know what I'm talking about, the little mini ones? They're so amazing. But there's only 12 in the thing, right? So one of our children loves them, and she'll take the whole box and sit in front of the TV and just eat all 12 in one sitting because <laughs> she's like, they're small. It's fine. And I'm like, yeah, they're small. It's probably, you're not going to, like, die from eating all the ice cream cones, but, like, there's 12 of them. And there's four of us, so that means divide it up. You should take three only. <laughs> She's like, but why? It's fine. You can just go buy more. <laughs> and I'm like, no, the point is to think about other people. Be considerate of who's around you. Be aware 
of the other people in your space and make room. Make room for them. Be considerate. Don't take everything for yourself. And, um, you know, I, I won't go into all the different, like, meanings behind what that means for us in our society. I think for each of us that looks differently. Um, some of us, you know, I'm not going to like talk badly about big corporations or whatever like that, but just be aware of your brothers and sisters and just be wise and, and look out for one another. The next one is, um, is also that the church kind of folded into that as well. So look out for your community, but also your church. For them, it was one big community that did church together as part of their life. It was integrated into their everyday life. They, they met together like daily to go through the scriptures. It was way more intense than what we do right now. We get together like once a week and then maybe another day a week on a, for a small group. So, but for them, it was all-encompassing. And um, so I think for us today... That is the desire for God to meet with us every day and for us to be surrounded by community and immersed in scriptures and be excited about it. That didn't go away. He still wants that for us. He still wants us to have that kind of community. And he still craves to be the center of our life out of which everything else flows. And so actually in Acts, so moving on into the New Testament, now there's Everyone is welcome into the kingdom, right? Not just the Hebrews. So you're seeing all kinds of cultures, probably some individualistic ones like our culture too, right? So you're seeing all kinds of cultures come together in one place. And when they finally, you know, they start coming to God and giving their life to Jesus, and they then are filled with the Holy Spirit, their first response was to live in selfless community. So even though it was like spelled out in rules in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit filled up the believers, what naturally came out of them was this desire to be together and be full of, like, just loving each other and stuff. So you'll see in Acts 2, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So when they prioritized their church community, when they stewarded well in their church community, they got together. They were taking care of each other's needs, selling stuff so the other person could have, like, food for that day. They were looking out for each other. That's when their community started thriving and growing, is when they started to live in that community together with God. And I believe that that's what's going to happen here. As people catch wind of how this church loves, I'm telling you, like, you guys, I'm really proud of you, honestly. We, not, we may not be big, but we love each other. We take care of each other. And when people catch wind of that love, it's going to catch on like wildfire. People are going to be coming in because, what does the scripture say? People will know us by our opinions or our political parties. No, no, no. It says people will know that we're Christians because of our love. Because they'll catch on to it. And it is, everyone wants that. Everyone needs and was created and born to be in a community 
that loves them and cares for them and has their back with this kind of uncommon love. See, their definition of winning was leaning into each other to care for each other, spiritually, emotionally, and even financially. And I think that there are sometimes some of us who are missing out on that fullness because we haven't quite allowed ourselves to be vulnerable in community yet. And we've kind of kept people at a distance because maybe we have been hurt in the past or we feel afraid that people are going to be not going to be gentle with our hearts and gentle with our lives. But I think God is saying to us, hey, this is how you thrive. This is how you were created, was to be part of a community that has your back and that loves you. So I think just like how we consider, you know, how do our kids feel at the end of the day or how do our, our coworkers feel at the end of the day? Did we leave them better than we found them? Or have they been depleted? I think it's the same way with our own lives. Our, at the end of the day, with our church community, are we leaving our gifts off the table? And people are being deprived of your gifts that you have to offer here? Or are you actually being deprived because you could benefit from someone else's gift that they want to pour into your life? And so I think it's really important for us to steward that well. And part of that is to just jump in. Get, get yourself in. Get into a small group. Start serving. It's important that we're all giving and thriving together and learning together. Because the place that you grow the most spiritually is when you can actually get together with someone and ask questions. Because I might say something today and you're going to be like, what? And then it, that question just sits there and is never answered. But the way that you grow is by getting in community. You ask the questions. You talk it out. You read together. You research it. That's what you need is that kind of community. So I encourage you guys to jump in and have face-to-face -face time to talk it through with people. Um, another thing that we kind of Im implied in that was generosity. And I think that one of the biggest hindrances to generosity is that we have fear that if we give to someone else, we might not have enough for ourselves. But the, the thing that Jesus taught us is that God's a good provider and that we just don't have to stress about it. And here's the other cool thing that people don't often mention is that whatever you give up for God's purposes, he promises to multiply back to you. It's one of the coolest promises, and I love it. And it's in Matthew 19, 29, and he says, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit an eternal life. And so it's actually a spiritual principle that when you give to cover other people's needs or to build the kingdom, God multiplies it back to you in some way. And I can tell you that absolutely is true in my own life because there's been many times we were so broke we first got married like we I don't even know how we paid our bills but somehow we made it but there were times that we just decided no we're going to give we're going to give to our church and then we're going to give to those in need and so we would you know I remember sponsoring church planters and all kinds of different things like when we didn't have enough money to like actually buy food, which I don't always encourage that. I'm not trying to make you poor for Jesus, okay? But the principle is we decided we were gonna be generous and we were gonna look out for each other. And we never had a day that we went out without food. We never had a month that we couldn't pay our bills. We never had a month that we went without. 
And God always supplied the difference. And even now to this day, um, like, we're still, like, we don't, like, make a ton of money. Actually, I don't even know, like, how we're here for some reason. But we're making it just fine because God, like, gives us crazy discounts on things. Like, people are always like, how do you guys always find these crazy deals? And I'm like, I don't know. I think it's because we've sewn into other things and God, like, blesses us because we've been generous with other people and so he's finding ways to multiply back our generosity back to us and it's cool because I feel like the more that he blesses us the more excited we get to be able to do more good things you know not bless us to enrich ourselves but bless us because now we're like now we can do more stuff now we can sponsor more people for world vision now we can get another one child kid and we can do more cool things for the kingdom and the, the more and more it goes the more excited we get to, to use our, our money to bless other people. Um, and in Luke uh, twelve thirty one it says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need, and this will store up treasure for you in heaven and the purses of heaven. Never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe, and no thief can steal, and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there your, des- there your desires will also be. So when we seek God first, he always provides. And so just do that, remembering that you cannot give God. And like I said, I'm not trying to make anyone poor for Jesus here. Just looking out for your brothers and sisters and taking joy in the opportunity to bless people who need it. Um. Okay, so the next, the next way that I think we can practice um, generosity is actually by practicing gratitude. This is another spiritual discipline that we can practice. And believe it or not, I really do believe that practicing gratitude makes you a better team player. Because it takes your eyes off of what other people are doing and what other people have. Gratitude gets your eyes back focused on your blessings and your gifts and what God's done in your life. Because one of the things, one of the biggest distractors is, especially on a team, is comparison and jealousy, right? It's just one of the worst ingredients you can add into a team. Because you start competing against each other and pretty soon your team dynamic is all messed up. And so when we're here, we're on this team, we don't have any time or any room for any of that. So that's why we practice gratitude, because we're like, you have a beautiful gift, and I want you to use it, and God gave me a beautiful gift, and I want to use it. I don't have time to compare myself to you, because I believe that I'm beautifully, wonderfully made, and we're all in this together. We all have a role to play, and it's, if we work together, that's how we win. If we celebrate each other, that's how we win. So I'm going to practice gratitude, and I'm going to thank God for all the wonderful things that I have and who I am and who created he created me to be. You know, so I think practicing gratitude is a super important part of it. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And I, I think that taking the time to um, practice gratitude, like it says in here, it actually gives you peace. It's a, it's a huge way to release anxiety. And we talk about, you know, different ways we can release anxiety is, you know, we can go for a walk or we can meditate or whatever. How about we use that time to meditate on the great things that we already have 
and to remember all the wonderful things God's done for us and to count our blessings. How many times when you're like, I, I don't know if God's going to come through me, through for me, I'm scared, I have anxiety about this issue. And then when we sit down and we stop and we meditate on, okay, God came through for me here, God came through here for me here, and we just remember, we start to count our blessings, then we just are full of faith, and then we're like, you know what? You, like, just like the song we sang today, you've been faithful then, you'll be faithful now. So thank you, God, for who you are in my life. I don't have to worry about it. I can release the anxiety by practicing gratitude. And the last thing that we can do, the last spiritual discipline I want to talk to you today about is simplicity. And simplicity is really just a way of saying ruthlessly eliminating anything in your life that adds or takes away from the main thing, right? Simplicity. I'm a, I, in, my, in my decorating in my house, it's like simplicity. The less things that are out, the better. The less things I have to like, less cluttery things I have to see in the corner, the better because then my mind is clear. <laughs> I don't know about you, but do you guys get like anxious when you see piles of like stuff? It just reminds me of all the things I have to do, you know? So I'm like, oh, just simple. Simple, nothing too much, just a little, right? And if you like, if you're a maximalist, it's cool. I don't care. You decorate however you want to. That's not the point. The point is eliminating anything that takes away from the main thing, the main goal. And I think especially on a team, one of the biggest things you can make a mistake is by overcomplicating your play, right? So that's why we practice the basics. We go over the drills over and over and over again. We practice the basics because if you can't do the simple things, you definitely can't do the complex things. So we want to keep simple, keep things simple. And the same thing is true in our life because it's really easy to get enamored with filling our lives with complexity. And we'll have these overfilled calendars and we have excess stuff that we have to put in like storage, you know, because we don't have enough room for it. And it just sits in this, you know, whatever. And then we say yes to all the wrong things. And we, we're like trying to juggle life, right? I don't think any of us are like, life's so smooth, it's so easy, I'm just walking through it like a butterfly. I don't think any of us feel that way. <laughs> I think we all feel like we're trying to juggle what matters most in our life. We're trying to juggle things and make sure that things are in the right places and that all the right things are in the air, right? But when we start adding complexity, we throw in more things to the pile, we put ourselves at risk to drop all of them right? We start throwing in a basketball when we're juggling some tennis balls. We're like, ah! And all of them fall. And we, we run the risk of being completely distracted, right? So complexity really is, it's a distraction at best, but it's a total derailer at worst. And if the enemy can get us off mission and always thinking about what we don't have or who we're not, then he succeeds. It's kind of like if he can get us to take our eyes off of our gold with a little bit of glitter, it's like sparkly and it's like, ooh, ooh, you know, it's attractive. We want to see the glitter. But if he can get us to focus on the glitter long enough to leave our gold alone, he can come in and mess things up for us. He's a thief. That's what he wants to do. He wants to steal the good in our life. And if we're focusing on all the wrong things, the things that don't matter, the things that are not of eternal significance, the things that really are just adding complexity to our life, the enemy wins. 
So what matters most? I think God wants to make sure that we're not chasing cheap and losing our gold in the middle of all of it. So what matters most to us? Well, I think God was pretty clear about that. We talked about it today. It's our family, it's our community, and our faith, our community of faith. So how can we be trustworthy team players? Well, we practice simplicity, right? When we're, when we're tempted to add an excess, one of the ways we can practice this is just by saying one little, just, just challenging ourselves for a second, saying, is this going to make my life better? Is this going to enhance the goals and the values that I already have? Or is this a distraction in my life? So it could be like splurging on a big item, right? If you, like before you go and you buy that really expensive thing or you make this big financial commitment, just stop and say, does this get me where I want to go? Does this meet my financial goals? Is this, or is this putting me in debt <laughs> and making things harder for me down the road? And what if I lose my job? Then am I in, am I in a pickle? Okay, so not just maybe splurging on items, but maybe even what we say yes to. What do we say yes to in our calendars? What do we say yes to in our life? What do we say yes to in, in our thought life? What are we allowing in our life? So maybe we just take a day to sleep on it and pray about it. I hate that though, because it's like I'm at the store and I'm like, oh, I really want that. And then God's like, just take a day take a day, sleep on it, pray on it. But how many times would things be better? The enemy, one of, the best, one of his best ways of getting us is trying to get us to make a, a decision in a hurry. Anytime someone's like pushing me to do something in a hurry, that's like my red flag. Because I'm like, I don't want to rush anything. I'm going to talk to God. It, it costs me nothing to go sleep on it. Think about it, pray about it, ask God, is this what you want me to do? And then let him speak to us about it. You know, I, I tend to be someone who is someone who adds on a lot of excess, especially with, like, tasks in my life. I'm usually, I'm really bad at asking people for help. And so I'm usually the first one to, like, sign up to just, like, I'll just take care of it. I'll just do it. And sometimes I'm, like, robbing someone of an opportunity to do something when I do that, something that they will love to do and, and use their gifts, but also I'm adding complexity to my life and weighing myself down. So what is that for you? What is that for you? And I firmly believe that the need to do or have or be more, it's just something that we're using to kind of numb or hide or maybe even run away from things that we're trying to fill up on the inside of us that may have a void. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, when I have the urge to neglect simplicity in my life, what deeper issue am I neglecting within myself? And why am I not comfortable with who I am, what I have, and what I'm doing? Why am I not comfortable with that? Is there something else that is causing me to make unwise decisions in my life? Is it acceptance? Maybe the need to be important. Maybe the need to be seen as special. 
maybe to like escape some kind of pain that we just don't really want to face, right? It's like, oh yeah, how many of us have eaten a gallon of ice cream after a heartbreak or <laughs> gone on a shopping spree when we're trying to numb our pain? It never goes well, right? But the point of practicing simplicity is just to recenter our life on what really matters, to recenter our life on God's mission and to take away distractions and keep us free from anxiety that the world would love to put on us. Nothing, I think nothing else in this life really produces more anxiety in me than trying to keep up with what everybody else says is good or is right. You know, it could be like a role or a salary or a home or a car or even our bodies. So many people have so many opinions about our bodies. And it's like, you know what? You're enough. Be healthy. But you are who you are. And it's okay. You are who you are, and it's okay. Just be healthy. <laughs> Take care of yourself. But simplify. What matters to God is enough. And if God says you're enough, you are enough. So the ways that we together as a team can be trustworthy team players is to practice those four disciplines. Stewarding. Steward our family and our lives and our community and our church, our faith well. Being, being um, generous, having gratitude for what we have in life and simplifying so that we can all of us together focus on what matters most, right? Caring for each other, loving each other, having the margin to give when someone has a need and growing in our faith together. That's what matters. So t taking time to intentionally practice these disciplines is gonna be a game changer, I believe, for each of us personally but also as a church, I think it's what we need to do to go to the next level. I think people need to see the love that you guys have for each other. I think people need to see this uncommon love that we pour out for each other. And that's what people are craving. It's just someone to care. It's just someone to care. And that's who I want us to be as a church. So um, as we go into this time of worship, I just think it'd be a good idea to just ask God if there's anything that you need to do in, in any of those four areas. But um, I want to just take a moment and pray over you before we go into worship. God, I thank you so much for every person who came here today. And I thank you that you do have a plan for their life. You have a purpose and a role for them within their families, within this church, within our community. God, you created us to have a purpose. You created us to contribute and be a part of something beautiful. And so I just pray that, Lord, you would speak to us today as we worship about how we can fill that role and how we can be all that you've created us to be. So, God, we love you, and we just ask you to help us become trustworthy team players. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together one more time as we close today. Caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy
Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do. I just want you. And I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry. When I just sang another song, take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. Oh, I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy Never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. Oh, more than anything that you can do. I just I just want you and nothing else and nothing else nothing else will do I just want you and nothing else and nothing else nothing else will do oh, I just Nothing else, nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else. Nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. Coming back to where we started. Whoa. I'm coming back to where your heart is. 
common thread and everything Natalie was talking about today, which is a great job, by the way, um, is this idea of stewardship. It's not, we don't, we, you don't use it a whole lot, like in everyday terms, um, everyday language, but that's the idea, stewardship. The idea of stewardship is that whenever you're held, a, whenever you're a steward of something, you'll be held, a, there's always a day of accountability, right? You know, right now my dad is, um, well, we're all getting older every second, and my knees remind me of it often whenever I bend down and pick something up, <laughs> but my dad's getting older and we're on this journey now where I'm helping him put together a trust and kind of estate planning and and he's like, well, what, is, what does a trustee do? You know, we were talking yesterday and I told him a trustee follows your wishes as you lay out in your living trust. In other words, their goal is to be faithful to your wishes, right? That your wish is their command. Now, could they go rogue? Of course they can. But you pick someone that you would trust to take care of your trust. They're a trustee. And over and over again, as, as Natalie was talking, I kept on thinking about the stories that Jesus would tell several times about a wealthy individual who would give one talent, three talents, five talents. He would give different amounts of money. And his story is told in several ways, but it's always the same thing. He doles out different amounts. He leaves and he always comes back and says, what did you do with what I gave you? This is what we're all about. It's easy for us to look at people and go, well, you know, they spent too much money on their house. They spent too much money on their clothes or their car. And we, we tend to think that how much money is too much money to spend on a car? A dollar more than you spent, right? How much money is too much money to spend on a vacation? What's too extravagant as a vacation? A dollar more than you spent on your vacation is too extravagant. You're the default, right? What the, the message of stewardship is, enjoy what God, he's a father. Enjoy what he's given you, but realize that our goal as stewards is to reflect the wishes and be faithful to the wishes of God. And if there's stewardship, there'll always be accountability. So how do you want that meeting to go, right? And it's, now a, it's not a vow of poverty. It's a vow of faithfulness. That God, this is all your stuff. This is not my stuff. It's not, God, how much of my stuff do you want? It's, God, what do you want me to do with all your stuff? How much can I enjoy? How much do you want me to give away? What do you want me to do with your stuff? That's the journey we're all on. So 
Uh, if you want to get more connected to the church, if you have any questions or if you disagree with everything Natalie talked about today, fill out a connection card. Uh, and uh, you can do it online, for, uh, voice.church forward slash connect, or you can fill out the, the card that was on your seat. We'd love to, and honestly, there's, there's times where people will go, I don't know if I disagree, I might disagree, but I'd like to talk it out. Look, don't just leave, let's grab coffee. There's a reason why we say the things we say. There's a reason why we do or believe the things we believe. Let's talk about it. Let's work it out together. And at least you'll understand where we're coming from. But don't just bail because you misunderstand or we believe different things. We could actually, unity does not mean uniformity. It means that we can disagree and still go, I don't know, at least one of us is wrong. Probably both of us are wrong. We'll figure it out on the other side of eternity. But we can still love one another, be kind, even when we disagree. So fill out a connection card if you want to get more connected or if you disagree, right? Um, lastly, before uh, we leave, we always take a free will offering. And you got to know that 10% of everything, at least 10% of everything that comes in, we give away. So every time that you've given to as a church, you are supporting church planning uh, here locally and broad. You're fighting human trafficking in, uh, in Thailand. You are uh, reaching the last large group of unreached people in the Andes Mountains in Ecuador. Like you're doing this every time you give through the missions organizations that we partner with. You're, you're supporting homeless youth here in the area. You are supporting teen parents every time you give. We always say around here, they don't give to the church. You give through the church. All right. So I'm, I'm not driving a Bentley out there. No one is getting rich off the church. All right, you're giving through the church so that we can make the world a better place and hand it off to the next generation better than we found it. That's the goal. That's the goal. So let's pray. We pray the same way for you in the church. We put our arms out like this as a sign of surrender so it's not too uncomfortable. And we pray that God would send us out. So let's do that. God, we just, we thank you for being faithful to us. God, now we want to be faithful to you. God, we pray we just had church service. God, would you now send us out as the church to be your hands and feet extended, to represent your values and your character and your, your posture, your tone, God. I pray that we would carry your voice well into the community, whether in person or how we conduct ourselves on social media. God, I pray that when people see us, they see the character of God. Would you speak with each of us this week? Would you speak through each of us this week? And would you speak through us as a church? Expand your kingdom this week through us. We give this week as worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.